Father, we come before you giving you thanks for so many things, for your mercy that you don't judge us according to our sins, for your grace that you give us unmerited favor, nothing that we deserve. Just because you are good, you give us what is good. But Lord, we also give you thanks for the indwelling Holy Spirit who teaches and guides us. We give you thanks for the forgiveness that you offer to us. We know that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And we thank you for the instruction, your word that you have left for us, that we might discover who you are and what your plan is. You have not left us as orphans, but Father, help us to be diligent in the discovery of the truths in your word. With your help, we'll do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as John was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here we have some baptisms. Now the baptisms that are listed in Scripture are considered elementary truths. For the small child who goes to school, the first thing they learn or begin to learn in kindergarten is their ABCs. And you get to first grade. Remember the, uh, the books, See, Dick, Run. And, and we read those, and then you had the books from Dr. Seuss. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. And he goes on with all of that, or... One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Now, you guys remember all of those things from our childhood, and I cherished those books. Those are elementary teachings. Those are the things that a little child needs to know in order to live his life or live her life. The same thing is true with us. We have elementary teachings, which are talked about in Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 5 and the beginning of Hebrews 6. And some of these things are the laying on of hands. Like, what's the laying on of hands? Is the guy's name Guido who's going to lay hands on you? Or what about the baptisms that are there? And what about repentance from dead works? And what are all these things? You know, when it comes to repentance, there are several, or excuse me, when it comes to baptism, there are several baptisms listed in Scripture. There's about nine different baptisms. 
And would you start reading? Nine? Nine? Do I have to do all nine? Is that what I'm supposed to do? See, these are some of the elementary teachings of the scripture. And when John says, I baptize with you, are you with water? But Jesus, when he comes, the Messiah, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. What? Fire? And we think getting baptized with fire, like you jump into a pit. Have you ever had some stupid guy jump over a fire and he steps in it? You know, just stupid stuff. But that's not what that is. That's not what the baptism of fire is. And so God put these things in here, speaking them through John the Baptist, being written down by Matthew, so that we would investigate them. And they are the elementary truths of Scripture. So there are figurative baptisms. There's first the water baptism that we have. And these are, all three of these next ones are in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Baptism of water, baptism with fire, baptism with the Holy Spirit. Mark 10, 38 through 40, has the baptism of suffering. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, has baptism for the dead. 1 Corinthians 10, 2, has the next three. Baptism in the cloud, baptism into the sea, and baptism into Moses. Now, if... You're new to the faith, and you come in, and you go, what is he talking about? Baptism into the Moses, baptism into the sea, baptism into the cloud, or baptism with fire, baptism with Holy Spirit. I know that one. That's kind of weird. That's way out there, and people get all funny, you know, and, and people get upset about that one, and there's no reason to be upset about that. So we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire, because those are the ones that are listed there. If you men who are in here, if you want to know more about the other baptisms, there's this study that meets on Thursday nights, and it starts about 6.30, and you guys are welcome to come, and we can discuss the things like baptisms there. And ladies, if you have questions on baptism, you can see Sandy or Cheryl or, uh, you know, anyone you want to. Just ask them. But let's go on with these baptisms which are there. Three views of baptisms of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm going to focus on. There's this idea the baptism of the Holy Spirit is equal to conversion. That when you accept Christ, you pray to receive him as your Lord and Savior. As Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. When that happens... God places his Holy Spirit in you to live in you. We all know right and wrong just intuitively because we have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The person who is not saved does not necessarily have discernment in those areas, although there is a sense of right and wrong. Even the most radical atheist will determine that you don't have the right to steal something from them. They hold to God's truth, even though they don't hold to God's truth. You understand what I mean? They don't follow God, but they will say, it's not right. Well, why is it not right if you don't have God? And that's a whole other discussion, and we're not going to go down that road. But the idea that God puts the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, within us, and God's Holy Spirit is a person. It is not a force. It is not a thing. He is a person. He has a distinct personhood. 
He has all the attributes of God the Father and Jesus Christ, but he is a person and he lives in us. And he guides us and he brings us understanding and he brings us instruction from the word. So there is the baptism of the Spirit is equal to conversion. That's one view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but that is not scriptural. Secondly, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is equal to water baptism. If you go to our brothers and sisters over in the Church of Christ, they will tell you that as you get baptized in water, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Now, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time, but Scripture declares it is a second event. It is not an event like getting saved where God places His Holy Spirit in you and you have salvation. This is something that is subsequent in Scripture to receiving Christ and getting saved. Thirdly, it's a second event, but it also can take place at conversion. This has happened to people before, but if you go to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19, it is separate from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was also separate for the apostles. When Jesus showed up, and I think I have the scripture in here later in the book of John, when Jesus showed up after his resurrection, he saw his disciples and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. And then at Pentecost, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so it was later on that that took place. It was weeks later that that took place. Some people would like to say, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, some people would like to say that was just for the first century. And it, it's not for the first century. If you do a perusal throughout history, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you just read history, it just keeps happening to people. They just keep showing up and having the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place. And it manifests itself in different ways. But it exists and Jesus does it, as we just explained in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who does it. And Mark 1, 8 reemphasizes this. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the three views of the baptism. We have some dangers as well. Uh, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in theory, but in working out the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't ever let Him disturb our lives. We, we don't let Him have an effect. And that's a danger of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you, you, you get it and then you do nothing. And Jesus said, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. Now, the word witnesses in Greek is where we get the same word martyr. And so Jesus says, you will have the power to be a martyr. <laughs> well, that sounds exciting, right? And it's this idea that the disciples would receive the power to give up their very lives for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Now for us, how does that manifest itself? It usually manifests itself in us not living for self. And often in our wonderful United States, 
do we like to do without? We don't like to do without. And I am part of the United States. I don't like to do without. My flesh doesn't want to do without. And you can just fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you might like, I like too. And I don't want to deny myself. And so we die to ourselves when we have received the power to be a martyr. And that's what it's about. It's this power. Now, the power can manifest itself in several different ways. But that's one of the dangers. Also, there's a danger in the subject. It's all too confusing. And some, they push it to the edge of their thinking. They don't want to deal with it. To give you an example of this, even in Calvary chapels, I've gone to pastor's conferences and they said, if they have said several times, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a pastor or as a leader in the church, please come forward. We want to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God may give you a gift. He may give you a gift of prophecy. He may give you the gift of tongues. He may give you the gift of interpretation. He may give you the gift of teacher. Maybe you don't even have the gift of teacher. And you are in a pulpit ministry or you're leading a ministry inside of a church and you really haven't exercised that gift or you haven't fanned it into flames. And so they would call us forward to do that. And the danger of some of that is come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some people have been taught when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. That is contrary to scripture. You may get some other gift and not tongues. Even first Corinthians says, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, and it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Not everybody does that. But there's this expectation if somebody receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they're going to immediately speak in tongues. And when they don't, they walk away disappointed. Like I'm not one of the few. I, I didn't receive the gift. Therefore, I'm not really a Christian, maybe, I don't know. And they doubt themselves and they go away with this cloud like they're not part of the elite. And if you read 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church was greatly abusing the gifts that were there and especially tongues. They were using it so poorly that they would bust in. And I used to go to a church like this. They would bust into the church or they'd be in the church and everybody at once would speak in tongues. Everybody at once. Like, for instance, and they do this in Mexico even today in some of the churches. If I were to go down there and I was helping with some kind of project down there and they said, um, Pastor Bill, would you pray for the food that we're going to receive? I said, sure, you know, I'll pray for the food. And this actually happened. And so I, I started praying for the food. And as I prayed, I couldn't even hear myself because everybody else was praying at the same time, and half the people were praying in tongues. And they, they would tell that as I'm coming to a close in the prayer, they would tone down their prayer, and when I'd say amen, that's an international word, they would all say amen, and then we'd eat, and I'd go, that was fun, I think. I, I'm not quite sure. And I used to attend a church here. They did When I first started going to a church, I would walk in. I didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about tongues. I didn't know anything about the gifts. And I'd walk in, and on their statement of faith, it says they believe in the speaking of tongues right there on the, the church uh, statement of faith in the bulletin. And I'd go in there, and uh, I was all by myself. I just knew I needed to go to church. I didn't know anybody. And so I just showed up at this church because somebody took me there once. 
And they would have a section every single week where they'd say, okay, we're going to offer up prayers to God. And everybody in the entire church would start speaking in a tongue of some kind or in English. And I, was, I would stand there and you know, I'd kind of listen to the person on my left. And they would be saying something. I'm going, that's weird. And then I, I would hear this person over there and they would be saying something. I, that's weird. And everybody was just going on. And the pastor up front, he'd be praying in English. And I'm, I'm going, this is just weird. You know, and Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says that if you go into a church like that, if an unbeliever walks in, he's going to think you're nuts. He's going to think you're all crazy and you've lost your mind. And so scripture says, don't do that. Now, I'm, I'm going to just take a parenthetical thought here on that. When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a gift that comes with that, like tongues... It says specifically, two are at the most, three are to speak, and they're to speak in turn, and there is always supposed to be an interpretation, which means you need to know if there's somebody with the gift of interpretation. And when it is used, it is going to be directed to God in praise or thanksgiving when you have the interpretation. This is according to 1 Corinthians. That has been so misused. Sometimes you'll hear the gift of tongues as a result of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They get the gift of tongues. And then they will speak in tongues. And then somebody goes and interprets. And when they go and interpret what is being said, they will say, thus saith the Lord. Ixnay that, that's not what the gift of tongues is. It is not the Lord speaking to us. That is the gift of prophecy. And I have heard the gift of prophecy used in such a way it gives me chills, even to recall it, how a, a man, Lewis Neely was his name. He was one of the pastors. I think he still is. I'm not sure, up in Sacramento. And he would come to the pastor's conference and he had exercised the gift of prophecy and when he would exercise it, I would hear it. I would just like melt both in fear and in love. It was kind of a, a, a strange thing to actually hear somebody use the gift properly. And when tongues would be used at a, at a pastor's conference in an afterglow, you would hear it when it was used right. You say, ah, amen. And that's what Paul says. How can anybody say amen to what you're uh, saying unless they get the interpretation. And again, that's 1 Corinthians. Now, our friends in the Assembly of God churches, the Pentecostal churches, they have a tendency to overdo this gift, and they really need to read 1 Corinthians. And I'm not bashing them because I'm sure we have errors. I have errors. I just don't know what they are. So in the meantime, I'll just consider our church perfect, all right? <clears throat> But every church has its own little thing that goes on, but we just want to make sure we're doing it according to Scripture. And if we do it according to Scripture, if everything goes completely right, there's still going to be somebody who's weirded out. And why are they weirded out? They're weirded out because the flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit is contrary to the flesh. Take, for instance, prayer. When you pray... Do you like to just pray for hours and hours and hours? No, your flesh goes, I'm done. 
After 30 seconds, you know, I'm, I've said everything I'm going to say. And then God brings something to mind. You go, oh, yeah, I got to pray for that too. Let me hurry up and pray for that because I need to just get on with my day. And you don't want to take the time in a spiritual exercise because the flesh says, I don't like this. And so whatever is of God, which is of the spirit, is contrary to us and our flesh. That's why God says, take up your cross daily, crucify yourself and die to yourself. That is the understanding with the gifts, specifically tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people just get weirded on it. And I don't go for weird. God is orderly. It says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. God is a God of order. And by the way, when it gets all weirded out and people are quote-unquote slain in the Spirit and they are doing things like you had the Toronto Blessing over a decade ago where people were going back and forth on a stage and roaring like a lion. A woman did this. She's roaring like a lion on all fours and, and she's roaring to the congregation and she says, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah, roaring like a lion. Funny, scripture says that the enemy goes around roaring like a lion. And I'm going, that's just not quite scriptural. And they would do things like, let it bubble up your belly. Rodney Howard Brown, he's a little bubble up your belly and you'll start speaking in tongues. And other people think it's like a motorboat that you, you pull the cord on the motorboat and you just start speaking in tongues, that type of that. I mean, just weirdness that's out there. And God is not a God of weirdness. God is a God of order. And so we just want to make sure we completely understand what God has for us. If in Matthew, in the first three chapters, he mentions the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is going to do it, do you want it? The answer is yes. But see, even the flesh goes, no, I'm not sure. Where, where are you going with this? What are you going to do? You know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll listen. That, that's where you are. You're just listening at this point. And so these are some of the dangers that are there. And then... Also, there's this idea, it, it's misused and abused, just like I said. The Corinthian church did that. Some of our brothers and sisters in other churches, they misuse it as well. We just want to make sure we're doing it according to Scripture. And I've always said, if somebody shows up and says, this Scripture says distinctly that you were in error on a particular doctrine, if they can show me from Scripture, I will change my doctrine. I am not locked to it. I'm only locked to Christ, and I want to be obedient to the promptings of his spirit. And so even as you listen to me right now, or even now as you listen, I want to make sure that if you find something that is not quite right, you come up and you say, in this scripture right here, I don't think it's quite right. I don't think that word means what you think it means. You know, something like that. By the way, that was in Princess Bride, if you didn't know that. <laughs> and so uh, I want to make sure that we are all together on this particular subject because it has been so misused and abused. And I want to make sure if Jesus has it for all of us, that you guys have it as well. That you don't have to fear or shudder that something may happen to you. Now, before I go on here, I'm, I'm going to give you my personal experience in this. Uh, in Scripture, it talks about the laying on of hands. Like Paul laid his hands on Timothy and received gifts, probably the gift of teaching at that time. He may or may not have received the gift of tongues. He was the pastor at Ephesus. And there were several elders around him praying at the same time, laying hands on him, and just bestowing a blessing. 
And it could have been at that time that he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. But he certainly received gifts. We're told that from Scripture. And so when it it comes to that, mine didn't happen like that. My baptism, quote-unquote, of the Holy Spirit. The Lord baptized me with the Holy Spirit. And I remember distinctly when it was. And it was in a home fellowship. And it was in our home. And I don't know, there were 20-some-odd people there. And we just finished worship. And I was going into prayer. And as I was going into prayer, it's like I decreased and he increased. And I I felt wonderful on the inside. And my prayer, it's kind of like you're in a little Mazda two-door hatchback. And I'm going in first gear. Like that. And all of a sudden, it's like I went to a GTO in fourth or fifth with over and i was just zoomed yeah it's like the prayer was just flowing from me and it it was almost like not quite it was almost like i was taking a back seat as i was praying not not weirdly so but it was like i was letting the lord just kind of direct the prayer through the power of the holy spirit and that happened i just go and, and i i got to a point where i could i said Amen. And I thought, that was different. And I talked to my wife, Patty, afterwards, and I go, you know, I've always been told that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the same as convert. What was that that just happened? And I knew that that was my baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't break out speaking in tongues. I, if I had the gift of teaching already, I, I don't know, or maybe I was fanning it into flames, and maybe I received some other gifts. All I know was, at the time, it didn't get weird, except for it was, it was like a, it was a neat experience. But some people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, I was kind of in between. I didn't have the gift of tongues or interpretation, and I didn't have nothing. So that's a double negative, but I didn't have anything, but I was, I was like right in the middle. And so there are people that they just fly off the handle and there's other people, they don't experience anything and they think, I don't get it. You know, let me ask you this. When you got saved, did you feel all tingly on the inside? Did you, did you feel sorrowful for your sins? Were you weeping? Were you just going, okay, I said the prayer and nothing happened? Or did you get this overwhelming feeling of exhilaration that God had filled up your life and it was fantastic? See, God does it in different ways for different people. And not everybody falls into a mode. Like, for instance, how is it possible that Jesus heals several different ways? In one instance, he wasn't even there. The guy said, no, I don't need you to come into my house. It's okay, just speak the word and it'll happen. And servant's healed, the daughter gets healed, the son gets healed. Uh, brought back to life. All of these things happen whether Jesus is there or he's not there. And one time, he gets a mouthful of saliva, spits in the ground, makes some mud. I'm sure everybody else is going, what on earth are you doing? And he picks up the mud, and here's mud in your eye, and he puts it in the guy's eyes. And he goes, go wash now. Did he have to do that? He didn't have to do that at all. He's just saying that, I work differently at different times with different people. I mean, how, after that, how many people went out, spit on the ground for blind people, picked up some mud? Let me try. Jesus did this. Let me try that. And, and it didn't work. You know, 
And, and so, yeah, I even know one guy. Now, this, this is another personal testimony of, of trying things that Jesus did just to see if they'll work. When the church first started, we had an all-church party. And we went over to what is now uh, Rice City. Back then, I think it was Harvest or maybe before that. I, I don't know what it was. But uh, we rented out their church to have our church Christmas party. And we brought this guy. His name was Tim Behrens. Tim Behrens was the morning drive guy on the only Christian radio station in Southern California that just started up KBRT 740. And it only broadcast from the morning to the evening. And then it shut off during the night. Rich Bueller was on there. I mean, a lot of different people. Uh, Producer Ann was on there. I, I used to listen to it all the time. And Tim Behrens was in the morning. And the guy was a comedian. I mean, I'd be driving down the road, and he'd say stuff, and I'd be laughing to where my eyes are tearing, and people would look at me like, what is wrong with you, you know, as I'm driving down the road? And so we had him out as a guest speaker. So he comes and he speaks at our first uh, uh, Christmas, our first or second Christmas party, maybe third, I don't know what it was. And he tells a story how Jesus... Or not Jesus, but Peter. Uh, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they're going through the gate, beautiful, and they reach down. I think it was Peter and John. They reach down, pull this guy up. So he read that. He sees a woman in a wheelchair. He walks up to her and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk he grabs her hand pulls her out of the wheelchair she didn't walk she went down and so if you want to try something that jesus does just use wisdom you know in something like that or if you want to do something that the apostles do use wisdom and the bible has wisdom and so these are the dangers of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts the way they're not supposed to be used, we just want to make sure that we operate under the control and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, going on with this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of course, it does exist, and Jesus does it, and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Now, this happened in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Of course, in the Old Testament... Judges chapter 6, it talks about Samson. Samson had the power of the Holy Spirit, or the power of God was on his life. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen these uh, videos of great mighty hunters going out and shooting lions. I saw this one where this guy, he is crouched down in a rifleman's position, and he's pointing to about to the distance of the back doors, And there is a lion that you cannot see in the video, but the lion charges at the guy holding the rifle from the doors to about where I am. And it comes full force. It's probably running at 25 miles an hour, and it's going to get the guy with the rifle. And the guy shot the lion, and it fell right at his feet. Now, when was the last time you just threw the gun down and said, come on? Samson did that. 
Samson grabbed the lion and actually tore it apart with his bare hands. Now, that's power, right? What could he do to anybody who was around him? It just obliterate. He killed with a jawbone. I mean, he was just taking out guys left and right. The power of God was on him. And at the end, at the temple of Dagon, he was blinded. They took out his eyes. And he grabbed the pillars of a stadium. And he pushed the pillars apart. Because of that, the stadium fell like dominoes all the way around. And he killed more people in that act as a judge in Israel than he killed all the way before that. The power of God was on him to judge. And he judged the wicked nations, the Philistines at that time, who were the enemy of Israel. That's powerful. Now, that's an Old Testament example of that power. The power of God rested on Elijah and Elisha. Elisha did twice the number of miracles as Elijah, calling down power from heaven. I mean, all of these things that were taking place, the miracles arising from the dead of people, The power of God was in these individuals, and we can have that same power. Now, if you look at that power as, well, I'll be able to do stuff, right? Yeah, you'll be able to do stuff according to God's will. If you do stuff that's not according to God's will, or you try to do stuff not according to God's will, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to stumble in your walk, and you're going to stumble other people around you. I mean, it's just going to be a mess, right? And so you want to make sure that you're walking in the newness of life under the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power which is restrained according to the Holy Spirit's working in your life. That's how we're supposed to walk. And so... In the New Testament church, they received power in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I think a lot of you have heard this already. The word for power here is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. How powerful is dynamite? Well, light one and keep it in your hand. What's it going to do? It's going to blow off your arm, and it could kill you as well. So it's that kind of power that you get to receive when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, it is the power to become martyrs. And they spoke in tongues, and 3,000 people ended up getting saved because of the power working in them, which was the Holy Spirit. And we are encouraged to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you might say, where does it say that? I was waiting for you to ask. It is in Luke chapter 11, verse 10. And through verse 13, it says, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Now, I want you to take note of verse 11. Which of you fathers, which means you're already in the family. Is God a father to those outside who are unbelievers? He's not. He's the judge. That's who he is. But for us who are in Christ, we are a brother or sister to Christ. The father is our father. And so that's the context in which it's delivered here. It's like we go, we are in the family, we have been adopted, we have been grafted in, we go to the Father, we go to Jesus, we go to the Holy Spirit, we request things, and God, according to his will, gives them to us. 
And it's, if it's in God's will, we have assurance, we receive it. Jesus says that. Whatever you ask in my name, according to my will, if it is my will, you get it. Absolutely, you get it. And so going on here, it says, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Let me back up. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? In other words, he asks for something good, you give him something evil. Or if he asks for an egg to eat, you give him a scorpion, something bad. If then you are evil... You, if in, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now wait, at salvation, we already get the Holy Spirit. We don't ask for the Holy Spirit at salvation. We ask for the Father to save us. And he says, I will indwell you with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit will indwell you. That's what we receive when we get saved. There's no question about it. The disciples received it before Pentecost, after Jesus was resurrected. He breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So that's the context which is delivered in Scripture. Also, the indwelling is received first, as I just said, John chapter 20, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that is after the resurrection and before Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, 10 and 19, Pentecost is received by Cornelius and the disciples of John in Ephesus and, of course, the disciples in Acts chapter 2. It is all received subsequent to the preaching of the gospel. After that, people go get water baptized. I can remember pointing this out to one guy. It was on an apartment complex I was working at. And he came out and he said, dude, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is at the same time you get saved. And I said, no, it's not. And I gave him Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 19. And he goes, dude, how do you know these things? I said, you read the Bible? It's right there in the Bible. It's plain. It's clear. And after I had given that to this guy, this guy belonged to the Church of Christ, another guy comes up and the fangs were hanging out and the talons were out and the sulfurous breath and the yellow orbs were there. And what do you want? What are you trying to, what are you after? And I'm just going, relax, man. It's, I'm just giving this guy the word. Is that okay with you? Yeah, but you're after something. No, I'm not. And it's this thing of disciples. And, never mind. I'm going to digress. <clears throat> And so there, there are people that have gone through history, even now, they would be in the camp of the cessationists, is what it's called. They don't believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, namely the sign gifts, are for today. The sign gifts would be, like for instance, prophecy and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. They say it's done. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, where there is knowledge, knowledge will be done away with. Where there are tongues, the tongues will be ceased. And it all says, when the perfect has come. They interpret the perfect that has come to be the canon of Scripture. When you look at the canon of Scripture and you compare it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, in context, it's not talking about the Bible. And that's what they say it's talking about. When the perfect has come, what do you know that is perfect? It's Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ has come, it says even in Scripture, you will know as you are known. You won't have to ask anybody about God and His Word. You'll know it. You, you'll have the 
address, the chapter, the verse. You'll know the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation. It'll just be there. You'll be like your cell phone. I want to look it up and it'll just compute and it'll be in a millisecond and you'll have whatever scripture is necessary. God will imbue us with that knowledge. And why are tongues there? Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. How many unbelievers are going to be in heaven? Zero. And so there's no need to have the gift of tongues in heaven. And so it fits. But the people who say, you know, these sign gifts are not for today, and and we just want to hold to that. Well, John Wesley, you know him? John Wesley in 1750. He says this. The grand reason why the miraculous gifts were soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began to ridicule whatever gifts they did not have themselves and to decry them as evil madness and imposture. John Wesley said, yeah, there's guys out there who are cessationists and they're just off their rockers. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't have the gift, so they ridicule those who don't. And it's this jealousy thing that's in there, and that's completely of the flesh. He's not the only one. Charles Finney, in 1792 1792 to 1875, he talked about receiving the, and it's a long clip if you want to look it up he talked about receiving the baptism of the holy spirit and he likened it to wave after wave of love and he he would be prostrated on the ground and he he didn't know what to do and he he just felt his love and tears and everything else coming over him and he couldn't express what was going on and one of his assistants come up and said are you okay and he goes If I didn't know anything better, I thought I was going to die is basically what he communicates because it was so wonderful, this thing that was taking place in his life. And if that happened to him and he received the love of God like that, just overwhelming, and it doesn't say he broke into tongues. It just simply, not that tongues are evil. Tongues are not evil. And the interpretation of tongues is not evil. And the gift of prophecy is not evil. And all these things can happen as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is feared. And people shudder when you talk about that. And so all of these things are given for our edification and the edification of the church. It is good if we submit to God and submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to do this in our lives rather than getting into this bent of cold orthodoxy, ridiculing those people and judging them when they actually use the gift. And you know, sometimes the gift is used improperly. When the, I've already said that. But for instance, somebody will speak in tongues and then the interpretation comes and it's the wrong interpretation. Thus saith the Lord and it's not God we give you thanks or something directed to God. One of two things is wrong there either the person who spoke spoke out of turn and somebody who thought they had the gift of interpretation didn't and they misused it or the person with the gift of interpretation used it wrong and it's just you never know and you have to be full of grace with this even as a teacher i make mistakes all the time you might say no he's perfect patty does but the rest of you guys 
the rest of you guys, you might say, hi, he just messed. Oh, that was wrong. That was, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. It's just going to happen. Like I'm playing worship. I'm just going to make mistakes. And you guys have to deal with it. I go, "Ah, you know, it's happening. I'll try to do better. But it is what it is. And people using the spiritual gifts, they're flesh. And they use them sometimes inappropriately or wrong. And, you know, that's why we just give them this grace. And I'm running out of time and I haven't even gotten on here. So there's this misuse of tongues. In the scripture that I referenced earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? The answer is no. The answer is no. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Prophecy. Speaking God's word, that is the greater gift. And now I'll show you a more excellent way, or the most excellent way. And so that's Paul's response to the misuse of the gifts as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was under a full rebuke in the first, well actually there are four letters and they're combined for us into two. And maybe the first one we don't even have, but this the first Corinthians, Paul was rebuking them or admonishing them in their behavior inside the church. So this idea, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you simply ask God. Say, God, if this is what you have for me and I don't have to be worried about being weirded out, I want it because I want to be submissive to your spirit. And God will give you power to not only Die to yourself, but be a witness to those who are out there. And God will place in your path people that you're supposed to minister to. People that you're either supposed to give the gospel to or a word of encouragement. If you get a gift with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe you already have your gift. Sometimes I, we don't know exactly how that works in Scripture, but God has a gift for everybody. Everybody has at least one gift And if yours is encouragement, you love it when you start ministering to somebody and you're able to encourage them. And you put your hand on their shoulder and you you say, I just want to encourage you. God has a plan for you, even though you're going through this trial, which leads into the baptism of fire. But he, he has a plan for you and he wants to bless you. And that just excites you beyond no other thing that you do in your life. When you're using your gift, it's just like, I was born for this. You find out what you're supposed to be doing. The tragedy is people in the church, they may receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They may not. They never get to experience what it is to walk in the newness of life with the baptism of the Holy Spirit doing his will. And when you do that, you get this joy on the inside that just overflows to those people who are around you. And it is the most wonderful thing. But it is the the gift of the Holy Spirit. It has been so misused that we decide, I don't want any part of that because Christians are weird, just like everybody else, but they're weird when they get together and they do these weird things. And so my encouragement to you, and I'm going to pray for all of you, if you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you ask for it, and you feel tingly on the inside, that's wonderful. If you get a gift, it's in the right context. You know, I can explain everything. It's great. It's wonderful. 
But we just want to make sure we ask God for everything that he has for us. If, he, if we ask for a fish, will he give us a snake? No. If he asks for an egg, will he give us a scorpion? No. So let me pray. Father, everyone who is in here, we all, Lord, desire what you have for us. We all pray that we would walk in the newness of life. We thank you for the gifts that you have made available that we might do your will. And Father, we ask right now that if there are any in here that have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you would give it to them upon their request. For you are good. And you only have good things for us. And we know that by receiving this, you will help us to be your witnesses and help us to die to ourselves. We thank you for every perfect gift that comes down from heaven. And Lord, if you want to imbue people with more gifts, I pray that you would open the floodgates of heaven. I pray that you would shed your kindness upon us, that we'd be able to do your will in this area. Thank you for the knowledge that you provide, the wisdom, the insight, and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.